and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of Glacial Musical, joined by the mu- the musical majestic Duncan Evans from the Leeds UK. How are we doing today? I like that intro, man, and I didn't mess mine up this time, which is an improvement <laughs> on last time. So, yeah, doing all right. As I just said before we came on air, so to speak, it's um, it's getting dark over here, even though it's morning for you. This is the, the magic of... Uh, different uh is it longitude or latitudes anyway the the one the up or down the uppy downy longitude one. there you go it's the uh, uppy downy one that goes lefty righty as you measure it exactly that's why it always confuses me because well, yeah any anyway but yeah so um i'm i'm doing all, all right still got this neuralgia but you know i've just um i've invested in a lacrosse ball which um i don't know much about lacrosse but apparently their alternative use is as a massage ball so you can mm-hmm. sort of lean against the wall with the uh, lacrosse ball on your back and kind of roll roll yourself around a bit and get a nice little massage without someone else having to do it so that's i did that about 20 minutes ago and i you know feel all right now let's see that is correct we, we have used the the lacrosse balls quite significantly here uh at my place and yeah it's 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 weird but uh lacrosse is um if i am not mistaken one of the purely new world team sports it was okay. started by the the indigenous peoples in the northeastern part of the continent so and we'll leave we'll leave the no. lacrosse history lesson at that because that's all I got. <laughs> of course, I we can still are... hear me, but you're you're glitching out a bit. I think it's back. I think you're back now. I think you're back. It's fine. It's fine. My... It's fine. We're cool. For some reason, this has been happening lately. If you can still hear me, we'll just go that way. I can hear you. Yeah, I can't see there you. There we go. Else. Oh, I can see and hear you. We're all we're, yeah. We'll we'll get there. This is um, you know, it's a DIY setup, but it's all part of the magic. You know, the, the wheels could fall off at any moment. So and uh, they often do with are. my old janky <laughs> laptop. So I apologize for everybody getting the technical uh, difficulty section of the the podcast. But what are we talking about today? Yeah, well, I was going to ask um, how you're doing as well, because I felt oh. rude not doing that. But um, uh, yeah, how are you? Are you all right? <laughs> I am good. Yesterday, as we record this, because we realize we've had a couple bumps in the road, so we don't want to have the, the missing bumps, so we're getting in an extra while I am on Thanksgiving break here in the States. Yesterday was Thanksgiving, and as usual, we don't clean up until day of, where I also have to cook a giant feast, day of. So I got stressed out, of course, as I always do. And I Mm -hmm. said some mean things that I apologized for not long after. (laughs) But (laughs) I started this morning the arduous task of the cleanup. I have the first run of the dishwasher going. But as it is a fancy holiday dinner, I already I also have to clean the silverware, the silver silverware, the proper silverware. And I also have to clean up the china which cannot go into the dishwasher. And it's going to be about three loads through the dishwasher before I get to the china and the silver. So, Wow, that's an impressive uh, an, an impressive uh, footprint you've left from your uh, meal, which was no doubt equally impressive. I will send you the picture of the meal. Um, I, actually, I post, oh, no, I think you I saw think it. I think I saw it. it. Yeah, I think I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked, it looked nice, man. Looked and nice. Uh, we, I mean, we used every cutting board in the house. We used every knife in the house. We used every, I mean, it's we've used it all, and that also includes the charcuterie tray before 
for the before for the warm up. But uh, that is how I am doing. So and today's Black Friday in the States, which is the biggest shopping day of the year. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to go out, but I might find myself at a record store on accident. Uh, yeah, I think you should do that. I think you should do that. And you might even decide to purchase our current uh, subject or you might not which is, I'm just going to go into it, it is the Stooges album that never was. It's um, Iggy Pop and James Williamson, who was also in the Stooges, and it also features another Stooges member whose name escapes me right now, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And this is Kill City by Iggy Pop and James William James Williamson. Recorded in 1975, not released till 1977 because nobody wanted to go near Iggy Pop and just nobody was interested. Um, yeah. What's odd is this was released after two solo albums. That was exactly. It, it's such an odd, odd little thing. And I'm not the biggest punk rock fan, as everybody knows. I mean, who doesn't like raw power? I don't know that you can be a human being who likes rock music and not enjoy the Stooges raw power. But that's besides the point. So, you know, mm -hmm. getting into mm -hmm. the the unturned rocks of punk rock is, is is not necessarily what I'm looking for personally. Here we are, however. James Williamson, though, is a uh, favorite of one of my favorite record labels here in America, Alive Natural Sound, which is somehow connected to the label they are. This album was eventually released on Bomp Records. I believe ah. Bomp is a store and they transitioned their name from Bomp into a live natural sound records to differentiate. So it doesn't have that. You know, there, there's a handful of stores that have their own labels and it's, yeah. And sometimes you want to, yeah, like rough trade in the UK, that's a label and a shop or store. Is it? Yeah. I did not know that Yeah, because yeah, I've got yeah. a couple rough trade, but I, I think my humble opinion, and this is just me talking, I don't know, but to me, it sounds a little bit clown shoes to be on a label that's a record store. I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, I think somehow Rough Trade have circumnavigated that. Like they've just got such a great reputation that it just seems fine. But yeah, absolutely. Like if you're on, um, I don't know, CD Warehouse Records, it kind of sounds strange, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't, it, and especially if it's a smaller record store, it just sounds exactly. like. And Iggy Pop is, is a legitimate star, but that's besides the point. So that's my oh sure yeah slight philosophization. Well, yeah, and um, a friend of mine, I, I um, posted that we were going to be doing this, and a friend of mine commented that uh, with a quote from um, a Turbo Negro song called "What Is Rock," which uh, says, uh, "What is rock?" Historians keep nagging about Funhouse. Stooges album mm. but me I think Kill City is where it's at so I think that's an illustration of how this album is viewed it's got a real cult following but it really didn't do well no one even wanted to release it and I think at the time even when it was released it wasn't viewed in the same way as those previous two massive Iggy Pop albums which were The Idiot and Lost for Life I believe Bowie was involved in both and they were massive massive hits that kind of re reignited Iggy Pop's career. I think this was kind of viewed as, oh, this, this is kind of a bit of a throwaway thing. It's from a few years ago. It's not really where he's at now. Okay, we, you know, a bit of a cash-in maybe, which, which I suppose it sort of was when they released it. Um, so um, where am I going with this? Yeah, basically it has a cult following, but just didn't have 
a great reception. And I believe that it says here on Wikipedia, it does say citation needed. So it could be a lie, but um, it says that the master tapes were lost. So shortly after the release of the original vinyl album. So all CD releases were mastered from a copy of the green vinyl album. That is just absolutely insane to me. 1975. That, yeah. I mean, mm. it's not uncommon for masters to get lost in this and that, but that they released it on CD from, and it wasn't a great mastering when they did it originally. It's a little bit muddy, it's a little bit subdued. And yeah. it, it didn't occur to me that it sounded wrong until I read that. And then when I read that, I thought, oh, it's missing that stabby punk rock yardbirdsy kind of sound it's it's blunted exactly that it is blunted yeah the, the, the those kind of crisp trebles are just not there it's kind of mushy um and without... in, a, in a way it suits it because it's sort of rough but yeah you kind of wish it wasn't as much as that basically i mean that kind of stabby treble is is the hallmark of punk rock from that time it, sure yeah it's not that mushy oversaturated distortiony guitar that bands like and i'm sorry to say this name in regards to punk rock but uh bands like green day and rancid and all those guys did later where it got that really strange kind of that not strange but that that really oversaturated rough rough sound that just became the standard rock sound in the 80s yeah i know exactly what you mean man yeah so uh, there's another thing on this so James Williamson, I believe he came into the Stooges quite late. So he's on Raw Power, but he wasn't on the previous ones. And um, it says here, I found this on James Williamson's own Wikipedia page. He um, It says he collaborated with Iggy Pop in 1975 on tumultuous demo sessions for a proposed new album to possibly be produced by John Cale of the Velvet Underground, um, which were released despite Iggy Pop's objections in 1977 as Kill City. So that adds a whole other element, which that wasn't on the the Kill City Wikipedia page, but it was on James Williamson's um, one. And it it also mentions here that during this, which is on the Kill City Wikipedia page, during this period, Iggy Pop was briefly institutionalised of his own volition. He had a heroin addiction and wanting to get off the stuff. Um, And basically was only allowed out on weekends to do the recording of the vocals for this. And then James Williamson was also arrested around the same time for possessing heroin. And then after James Williamson sustained sustained a finger injury during a drunken altercation at an Alice Cooper listening party, he basically gave up the whole, he gave up the whole music thing. And then, Went went back to university and became um, a, quite a high profile guy within the Silicon Valley um, thing, and and then eventually came back to the Stooges when they reformed in two thousand and nine, having had this whole completely polar opposite career in um, as a like an engineer in Silicon Valley. So, so picture yeah. that for a second, right? You're because the Silicon Valley dudes probably all were into punk at least a little bit they may not have been into you know the stooges you know that far back in mc5 or james chance and the contortions as it were but imagine you know they they i think most people that you know the people like me who aren't 
deep into that genre of music don't think of Iggy Pop and the Stooges. We think of Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. all of a sudden, this dude was on tour and did albums with that guy that used to cut his chest open with drumsticks on stage. I mean, and there he is just typing at his computer, clickety clacking along, and you're like, wait, Grandpa Jimmy? <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just that's the crazy world of rock and roll but it's also the i guess it's just the the strangeness of it all because as we've talked about so many times these big stars d- depending on how it all goes with the record deals that you sign and all that often they really aren't the the millionaires that we expect them to be um just really really there's so much variation and at the time these guys really weren't like the stooges weren't even very big particularly at the time it was only when punk came around i think that the people went back and kind of said oh yeah these were really influential on punk um, a great way to think about this particular band is it's a lot like the police for me where mm-hmm. everybody's heard of the police but sting became the breakout star yeah and iggy pop in 10 years time iggy pop is an icon Not a musical icon, but an American pop culture icon. He was acting. He was everywhere. It's so crazy to think about. I mean, this man actually pulled his junk out on stage once, at least Mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I did see a photo of that. Um, (laughs) I was flipping through a magazine and oh, my God, there's Iggy and and, and Iggy. (laughs) Iggy and little Iggy. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, it, it's just so crazy <laughs> to think about how, you know, now he's just TV Ziggy Pop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Doing all the the adverts and all that. Um, so, yeah, um, there was actually two tracks which were on here, which are on here, sorry. Um, Johanna and I Got Nothing, which were performed live around 73 and 74. So after um, Raw Power by the Williamson era Stooges and never got recorded as Stooges songs, but went on here. Um, So, you know, to all intents and purposes, this really is almost a Stooges album. And that's the guy, Scott Thurston is the, he plays keyboards and bass on a few tracks. And he was also in the Stooges. I'm not sure whether he was bass or keyboards. They did have a, bit of a revolving door lineup the stooges so i'm not entirely sure uh also iggy pop did play he was on tales for the tales from the crypt did you get that show over there i yeah i know i know it i don't know yeah yeah okay. i know the one tales from the crypt was one of the many many hundreds like in the 80s and early 90s there was like the these anthology shows yeah which, uh, of horror or mystical stuff and i mean i could name episode after episode but i'm not going to do that but there was an episode where Iggy Pop played, portrayed himself singing the title track from this song. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, the title track, Kill City. Kill City. All right. There Much you later. That was 1990. So, I mean, it was <clears throat> over a decade and a half after recording it. So, at least wow. eventually he made some peace with this album, which I can understand where he, because he had, by the time this album comes out, his solo brand is well established and well on the way. And I would argue yeah. very different than the Stooges brand. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, a much more pop sensibility, refined, um, less raw kind of kind of thing, uh, more sophisticated, I guess. Um, yeah, so I think there's something else um, to say here, um, but there might not be. I'm just looking through. I'm sure there was something else. Oh yeah, I can see that here. Yeah, Pop appears as himself on the title on, on for crying out loud on Tales mm-hmm. from the Crypt. So there we go. There was so- another mix of this from in two, in 2010. Oh, made okay. From yes. the multi, made from the multi tracks, so not mastered. So oh. apparently, they still had the multi tracks. Oh wow! Right. So that is not what really I heard. I heard the vinyl version. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which well, makes think... the most sense. That's what we should have done. We should not have done. Yeah, we got to judge it based on what it was then, not on a new version of it. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Let's just have a look then about the in terms of the reception. Yes, yeah, so there's there's quite a lot of actually pretty positive reviews here. But looking at them, the ones I can see here, these are all more recent. Um, what what's the word? Uh, looking back, there's a better yes. word for reviews. These are modern retrospective. day reviews. Retrospective. That's the there word I'm looking go. for. <laughs> yes, these are retrospective and not contemporary. Yes, exactly the one. And uh, Martin Aston of BBC Music said it was Iggy's most underrated album and the one that helped him get back to real life. Um, so I guess that's probably the legacy here, really, is that Iggy was an absolute mess um, and he, he managed to get it together just enough to be able to record this. And then I guess even though it didn't get released at the time, that probably then opened the door for him to work with Bowie again, having worked with him on Raw Power and get um get those two albums out that then reignited his career. So I guess if nothing else, that was the role that this played. And you know what? There is that is an absolutely wonderful thing because Iggy Pop could have very easily been uh, you know, a rock and roll statistic. And hundred percent. I was watching last week, I was watching um Murder in the Front Row was what it was called. It was a documentary on Bay Area thrash metal talking about Metallica and Exodus and Slayer and all those guys. And James Hetfield told a story about when they played the day on the green in San Francisco, which was a huge, might still be a huge yearly festival they have put on for decades and decades. And they were so excited. Well, not James, but uh, Cliff was extremely excited because he was from San Francisco. He mm-hmm. was so They were so excited to play this amazing historical festival and as they're in the studio as they're in the dressing room after it's done and this is put on by by legendary promoter bill graham he Mm -hmm. um they decided to trash the dressing room Mm -hmm. because that's what rock stars do yeah yeah which i never understood that i have never understood the idea of trashing a dressing room or trashing a hotel room but what do i know me me neither me neither John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin said they only did it in the hotel room, like the hotels that were awful and that they kind of had a, a grievance with. But um, still seems like not the best method for dealing with that. But, you know, they... I mean, you're just going to you're going to cause a lot more problems for the underlings rather than the overling, the yeah, underlings exactly. rather than the overlords. But exactly. Yes. But yeah. so he. They, the way he put it was they didn't think about the next day when they did that. So he gets a call the next morning at the Metallica mansion from uh, Bill's uh, Bill's assistant. 
And she says, Bill needs to talk to you. You need to come in today. And he's like, uh-oh, being called to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. And he says to him, James, I understand you know, you're trying to live this rock and roll lifestyle, and that's what rock stars do. They trash the dressing room. I get that. However, you've got a lot of talent, but you're on a very destructive path. Mm-hmm. Change the way you're going, or it's going to all go away. And I've had this same conversation with Janis Joplin, Sid Vicious, and somebody else. I forget who the third one was. Yeah, and look how those turned out. Basically. And he said, none of them listened. Maybe, yeah, exactly. you, maybe you will. And that easily could have been Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. I think we, I personally, anyway, I'll say, I'll, I'll take it on myself here. I think I oftentimes gloss over the dangers in the illicit drug use that goes on in this world, especially in this time. But it's a lot of times we're really, really lucky that we're still talking about somebody who's, you know, kicking their feet above ground rather than below it. And Iggy Pop, Alice Cooper, Black Sabbath, these are people that we are all very lucky to still have. And this could have easily gone. I mean, think about this. He is institutionalized and recording on the weekends because of his heroin addiction. And he put himself in to get off of it. That's uh, truly amazing and truly brave when you think about what, because it wasn't rehab. It wasn't, he was in a mental institution. There's Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Rehab in the 70s is not like what we thought about it in the 80s, much less now. You know, now you're going to health spa, you have group therapy, you're probably getting some manicures at the nicer ones. Here, he's probably put in a straitjacket and tossed into a padded cell mm-hmm. with a bucket saying puke it out. Because uh just going to give a real quick heroin PSA, if you don't mind. Um, yeah do it man yeah yeah. heroin is a very very scary thing and it's very very scarily addictive it is the most addictive of the illicit drugs and what happens when you are i think we've all heard the phrase dope sick and yeah 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 yeah. what you don't have it basically correct so if you're trying to get off of it you go a couple of days and you get dope sick and you just start throwing up and throwing up so exactly during the week, he is likely in a padded cell with a bucket, just yeah. spewing. And then on the weekends, he can get out and go to the recording studio. That's got to be a night. Nice, that had to be a nice break. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so there's not much else on this, although I noticed that actually I've just noticed this. James Williamson himself produced this and mixed it. Um, which I had not quite realized. So he was actually there not only making all the production decisions, but sitting at the mixing desk afterwards, putting it all together. Well, the, the whole you, thing was written by Ig- the whole thing's written by Iggy and James. Yeah. And, you know, uh, all songs written by Iggy Pop and James Williamson, except Master Charge by Williamson and Thurston. So James has written... That's the one without Iggy Pop on it, as far as I can tell. Well, there you go. So, you yeah. know, James Williamson has written basically this entire album. Um, I'm sure Iggy just kind of like threw some lyrics together. I would not imagine, and I'm not making light of this, but I would not imagine that Iggy was in the best headspace of his life 
at this moment. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and on top of that, he does not have the ability to be out in the studio making the executive decisions that needed to be made in order to make this something palatable that you can use it. Because I, I forget if we discussed this or not, but this is a glorified collection of demos. This was meant. This was meant to get Iggy Pop back on track. It got shelved. He got clean. He got on the solo, and then it got pushed away. But in nineteen, and it was yeah. unfinished. Yeah, and and that's probably, in some ways, why it sounds like it does it as well as the masters getting lost. It was never really meant to be released. I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was an original nineteen seventy five demo mix. Um, with which is, is still unheard apart from three tracks that have been put out on compilations or whatever. But then they kind of cleaned it all up a bit as much as they could to be released right. as a proper album. And I think added extra instruments, like added the yep. some of the saxophones and things like that, which are on it. Yeah, after, James after. James Williamson convinced Bump Records to put it out and convinced them to give him an advance on it so he could finish yeah. the record. So yes, that's when the saxophone comes and they remix it and... You know, I think we should also kind of go through the people on this real quick because yeah. the, the the there's a significant amount of people here. So you have Iggy Pop on vocals, of course. You have James Williamson on guitar and backing vocals. Then Scott Thurston keyboards, bass. He played uh he played bass on Kill City Beyond the Law, Joanna at Nighttime. So basically half the album backing vocals, special effects, and harmonica. Brian Glasscock, drums, congas, African beaters, backing vocals, and gyro. I don't even know what a gyro is. It's some type of percussion. I'm not sure, but it's percussion. Oh, did you know that that guy is the brother of John Glasscock, who was the bassist of Jethro Tull for a while? No. There you go. I just what clicked I, that now. So but what you. I don't know about Jethro Tull, you could just about squeeze into the Grand Canyon, so... <laughs> uh, Steve Trano, bass guitar on a couple tracks. Tony Fox Sales, backing and bass on a couple tracks. Hunt Sales, backing vocals and drums on a couple tracks. Brother of Tony, by the way. I assumed. Uh, John, the rookie Harden, is the saxophonist. Ganya, Gaina. Gaina is backing vocals on Night Theme and Technical. Oh, technical. I'm sorry. No, this is technical. No, technical is the technical personnel. <laughs> yes, James Williamson, production mixing, which we discussed. Peter Hayden, Tony Gottlieb, assistant engineers, and David Allen, the album cover. And the album cover is actually something we did not talk about. It's cool. Uh, it's like a comic book kind of, um, yeah, impression of Iggy Pop standing on stage like he does, top off with what looks like a smashed bottle in one hand, I guess, for, for the whole... Um, self-mutilation thing that he used to do i'm sure he probably smashed a glass bottle sometimes and did that and um yeah there's kind of a yeah it's, yeah that, that's kind of it it just has the title and the band name in big comic book letters basically it's cool yeah. i like it a lot it, it's got a uh, a frankenstein kind of coloration to the body there it uh um, yeah yeah it's kind of a boring cover really i don't know that i'd want to put that on my resume Oh, I don't know. I, I I know what you mean, but I like it. I think it it's um. What's the word? Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's very straightforward. Um, but I think that's sort of the point. It's a. I guess it's like a pop art thing almost. It's like pop art comic book. Um, very big bold colors and not much detail. Um, well, I do. You know, I was about to say it doesn't really do anything for me to show the kind of music it is, but I'm I'm taking that back because at this point in time, Iggy Pop is not. Again, he's reinvented. He is not that Iggy Pop anymore. 
So this show, by putting the the top off, broken broken Jack Daniels bottle in his hand, getting ready to, to cut himself, it shows that this is from a different era of Iggy Pop. Yeah, I guess it does. Although I'm going to sort of agree with you. I mean, we're about to get into the track by track. And what I will say, actually, is that although I like the cover, um, I cut from, from based on the cover and based on the fact that this was members of Raw Power Era Stooges, I was expecting something that wouldn't be a million miles off raw power. Like I was expecting some pretty um, gritty, harsh, um, punky rock and roll. And that isn't, I mean, there's some of that, but that's not really what this is. And we'll talk about what it is in a moment when we get onto the track by track. Um, Agreed. A few more things I want to throw out there before we get to that. One, I would say that doesn't sound like it was recorded in 1975. Sounds this, more like 1969, I would say. I, I would have said more like 79 or 80, but it's more... Oh, okay. It, it, it leans into, not is, but leans into a little bit of the yacht rock kind of sound. And that might just be due to the blunted production when... Like if you think about Kiss from 1979 and their in 1980, their Dynasty and Unmasked records, which I'm not going to suggest you go listen to them. I'm just going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the production choices, you have Vinnie Poncia who recorded both of them, and when they play them live, it sounds very, very different. It's got that very mid-rangey kind of overdrive, not like this, not that stabby kind of yeah. punchy. And it, it gives this kind of sound. And that is, you know, where it's that's the beginning of the Yacht Rock era. So this actually is a little ahead of its time. Yeah, no, fair. I think I think it certainly is very unpunk. And it's like it's either it either sounds before or after. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 pre-post punk. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pre-post, it's pre-post nearly yacht rock punk. Yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing yeah. words together now. Also, sure. it's very interesting to me that two years from when it was recorded to when it was released, the whole world had changed for Iggy Pop. In that time, he went from being a wreck to a superstar. Two Absolutely. years. Absolutely. And I, and I guess um, this was still back in that era when things just did change in the music um the music scene and the mu- music fashion and stuff like that the whole the whole world of that seemed to change so quickly and if you think about 75 um okay you still had some of those punk bands were just forming and sure the ramones existed i think but um like you know led zeppelin was still absolutely huge like all these classic rock bands still seem to be kind of in their prime and then you look at 77 and at least in the UK, think things had exploded in a different way. Um, you know, this whole new thing had happened. Um, so this is getting released kind of as that whole new thing's happening. Mm-hmm. And as Iggy and the Stooges are being hailed as one of the big influences on that. But it's actually from a weird in-between era where... Right. In yeah. A lot... The 70s, in my opinion, uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about here. One, the 70s is interesting because there are so many different movements and so many eras of the 70s. Mm, and yes. The early 70s were still into 
we're, we're still very much hippie influenced. You know, you've still got, uh, oh God, who sings Ohio? Is that? Um, I'm not sure. Four dead in Ohio. But I know, I know what you're saying, man. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then the it, thing's still going on, yeah. Right, and then it moves into Led Zeppelin where it gets riffy, and then it moves into, you know, the, the mid-70s, and then it gets into the late Prog 70s. Rock, yeah. Yeah, so it's got all these weird movements and eras, and it it ends on disco. Disco and yacht rock, yeah. bass, you know, soft rock. And then the start of hip-hop's coming in as well. So yeah, look, yeah. everything happened, yeah. And yeah. So bands got used up real quick. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're seeing, which is, explains a band like Kiss, a band like Led Zeppelin, where the only time I'm ever going to put these two on the same page is that they were both continuing to evolve and change every album. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they both made good careers off doing that. But it's also worth noting that back in those days, you know, they called it the record plant for a reason. It wasn't the record sit here for six month place. It was the record plant. We're going to bam, 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 kick them out, kick them out, kick them out. Yeah. And then that changed in the 80s. And in the 80s, you didn't put out two or three records in a year anymore. You took the time to write, pre, do pre-production and then put them out. So in, there's no way in if this had been recorded in 85 that there would have been two records before 1975. Absolutely. Yeah. So exactly. it's historical context when it comes to these albums, I think is very critical. And it's also fun to look at how things have changed. And I think we should go back to record labels ponying up money so people could put out to crap tons of records. Yeah, sure. I'll certainly take the uh the huge advance when it when it comes. <laughs> I have had I have had advances for, for making records, but not particularly big ones. But these days to get any advances uh quite you know that's quite well, i mean thing. most record labels that i listen to now i think the advance is uh you hand you hand them the recorded record and that's the advance they get an advanced copy of the record they're about to put out yeah well yeah i know what you're saying yeah exactly exactly um yeah well look that's about all i've got to say on the background so i'm ready to go into the track by track if you are Yes, I am. I have nothing more to say. And this is a record. This is the first time we both had nothing to say after we said we were done. So let's take our five minute break and get right back to it. See ya. And welcome back. Hello. So sorry, Nick's just taking a drink of water and I'm not filling the time in. So now <laughs> I am. And it's the worst time filling in you've ever heard. So uh, anyway, hi. Oh, my God, you're killing me. Uh <laughs> All righty, let's get into the track by track. Since uh, since you uh, you killed it with the the link there, let's get hey. into Kill City. All right, so I'll I'll do my thing of starting if that works for you, or just jump in if you want to start on any of them. Um, so Sounds good. Kill City, right? Yeah, this is very poppy, and actually, even though I said 1969 and disagreed with your 1979, I've said exactly that here. Look, it, it sounds almost like new wave or power pop, like the late 70s kind of thing, um, but not punk, like the post-punk things. And there's piano here. Good riff and very Rolling Stones, and that's going to be a running theme here. Very Rolling Stones, that bluesy rock and roll Stonesy swagger, the Keith Richards riff, basically. And um, great vocals, some hand claps, and you know it works. I mean, hand claps can be very hit or miss, but they work here. You know, um, 
so yeah, cool attitude. You've got the of course Iggy Pop has the Iggy Pop attitude, and he's and he's pretty raw here. I guess with what he was going through, I can see why he'd be in pretty raw mode. He's not in contemplative mellow mode. He's in kind of I'm gonna just scream and be a bluesy raw screaming creature. But it is still the production and the whole um, arrangement and everything much more polished than what I'd expect from most most stooges certainly from raw power you know this is way more sophisticated and way less aggressive it's a good song it's got catchy hooks i don't think it's the best song in the world and to be honest the upbeat chorus it's very poppy and i found it a little jarring um i didn't i didn't quite know what to make of this um it's not what i expected really Good lyrics. I mean, he can do, he does the rock and roll cliches, sure, but he kind of subverts them and, he, you know, it gets dark and he's talking about overdosing and things like this. And it's like, yeah, you're actually, you're living this, man. This is real. You're not, this isn't like some of those 80s hair metal bands talking about driving in limousines when they've never seen one sort of thing, you know? Um, anyway, so I'll um, let you, I'll let you come in. Duncan always has a lot to say when we start the track by track. And yeah, I sorry. love that. No, it's fine. I, for like the first six months of us doing this show, the first track always seemed to be a half hour between the both of us because we could not pace <laughs> ourselves to, oh. you know, talk about the entire album over the course of the album. We had yes. to talk about the album in the first track. But yes. this one, this is, um, I, I will say that I'm very envious that you got so much out of the vocals on this one. It was about track three or four when I thought to myself, is this instrumental? Because it just <laughs> didn't, they just never registered with me. So the, the vocals obviously on this track did not register and I cannot give you any idea of the lyrics. And I've listened to it twice today. Wow. I, well, I, there I, you go. So it, what's fun about these kinds of records and when I say these kinds, I'm going to pull back the fourth wall a little bit. Half to two-thirds maybe even more of the albums that we cover on this show we've never heard we just discover they existed because it's not like we have this amazing library of all these albums nobody remembers no it's just we google and find things and duncan found this one so i had never heard it and a lot of times the first track is a feeling out track for me and how i what does this sound like and this is where i thought you know it sounds a little bit different than what i expected which mm. makes perfect sense for all the reasons we discussed in the lead up to this song exactly exactly yeah man okay well um you've sold it quite well to us there nick so that leads us into the track two sell you love sell your love sell your love i've written sell you love it's sell your love so this is really mellow <clears throat> you've got loads of saxophone it's kind of psychedelia which i guess is where i'm where i came from with the uh, late 60s it. thing it's very laid back what did you find you found your psychedelia Oh, found it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's laid back and it is cool. And then hey, you look for psychedelia, I look for kiss. We're we're both looking for something. Exactly. Then these gospelish vocals come in, but I mean we've had Duncan's favorite so often in albums where they just really don't fit. And you think, what are you doing here? But actually, they kind of fit here. And it's that stonesy vibe where you've got the very mellow laid back kind of slightly country slightly psychedelic slightly gospelish um 
uh, what's the word, a sort of laconic, lethargic kind of groove. And I like it. So, yeah, look, it is cool. Again, still not what I expected. But it finally kicks in with these dark lo-fi vocals. Like they're um they've been uh, affected to 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 be more lo-fi than uh than just the album is anyway. And yeah, I find it interesting and cool. Not what I expected. Um, but they bring back the uh oh, there's lots of acoustic guitar in it as well. Bring back the gospel kind of thing. And it's yeah, it's that I guess it's that exile on Main Street, Stonesy thing, very cathartic, a bit sad and melancholy, but it's still got that. Hang on. Oh, sorry about that. I'm a dumbass that can't use Zoom, and I accidentally muted Duncan. I was I was trying not to cough on the air. So basically, I I think yeah, basically you've got this cathartic, melancholy, swaggery kind of exile on Main Street Stones type of vibe. Um, and it isn't what I expected really, but I do like it, and it's it's growing on me by this point. I'm thinking this is kind of strange and different, but it's growing on me. I would agree with a lot of what you just said. This record, and this is probably the weirdest thing I think you can say about a Niggy Pop record or a Semi Stooges record or a Stooges, you know, a Stooges butt name, right? However you want to look at it. It's very ambient. Yeah. And, you know, when you say, when you mention Exile on Main Street, it's like, yes, there, that, that kind of like the stones where it slowed down, you know, back exactly. when they, you know, this is like—I'm not trying to make light of it—but this is like a record on heroin. I mean, yeah. I, look, I was just thinking the same thing. It's that, isn't it? It's that vibe. It's the blissed-out opioid thing. You know, they're just—they're just relaxed, and they're doing it, and they're gonna get through it, and you know, that's just the way it is. You actually literally sound like Iggy Pop in his speaking voice when you're doing that draw. Oh, wow. That was not on purpose. <laughs> but as we all know, heroin is illegal, so it is beyond the law. Hey, well done. Um, well, yes, beyond the law, track three. It's faster, Stonesy rock and roll. It's swaggery, gritty stuff. I like it. I found the sax harmonies very jarring at first. There's these stabs that are doing a kind of type of thing and it's like okay look it, it is catchy but it yeah i'm not sure and then the more it happened the more i went yeah okay okay i'll yeah i'll give it to you okay i'll, I'll keep it because <laughs> it just was so catchy i couldn't i couldn't not like it but it is yeah not what i thought but good vocals good lyrics again like he you believe what he's saying because he's real for him he kind of get, he manages to make the a lot of the rock and roll cliche stuff just not seem like a cliche because he just says it with such conviction and he, he's got a bit of a way with words as well obviously but it's like yeah we but this is believable because we we know you were living this and more so yeah look it's catchy it's got a good bite and it's towards the end it really builds this repeated hook of the uh title they're just saying beyond the law beyond the law and that's when i thought yes like this is finally clicking with me i really like this and the energy is brilliant and it almost reminded me of hawkwind the way they had the saxophone and the way it was had that rough punky energy to it um so yeah look it's growing on me still unusual but definitely growing on me a lot i the 70s was such a weird time if you think about it could you imagine in like 1980, Iron Maiden, 
or Motley Crue or Def Leppard just busting out with a saxophone. Exactly. No, no, hundred percent no. But everybody, almost everybody in the in the seventies had to have a sax on their record for some reason. And yeah. the, the the aforementioned James Chance and the Contortions, James Chance was a sax player as well. There you go. So there he played go. the sax on their records and live. And you know the Stooges had horns. And I mean MC Five. I mean just the idea of this is so absolutely ridiculous to me that you have the most non-threatening just the most non-threatening instrument that you could play on all of these records that these subversive you know counterculture records and you've just got these these beautiful little sax harmonies then you got that that kind of sax and i mean it's just it's crazy but as for the rest of the song i got nothing I knew you were going to do that one. And if you didn't do it, I was about to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I got nothing. Um, I just want to very, very, very quickly say with the whole sax thing, it always amuses me just to go to Pink Floyd for a second. That um, Apparently when Sid Barrett was right in the depths of his, um, you know, his difficulties and he just wasn't making much sense with the whole thing we know happened to Sid Barrett. Apparently he said in a conversation with with like the rest of the band, what we need to do is we need to get a saxophone player and three female backing singers or something like that. And the, they all thought it was ridiculous. And this is like, a you know, a symptom of his illness. And, you know, of course, we're not going to do that. But it just makes me laugh that then they did Dark Side of the Moon with a saxophone player and loads of female backing singers. So there we go. No, that is not true. That whole story is wrong because they only had one okay. female backing singer on Dark Side of the Moon. All right, okay, all right, all right, all right. Come on, but you know what I mean. They did have <laughs> two on the Wish You Were Here album and tour. There you go. There but you yes, go. Saxophone and lady backup singers all over the exactly. place, and that exactly. and that became their hallmark for exactly ever. And Roger Waters never stopped doing it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, right, so um, you're back to I Got Nothing. So, yeah, this is driving minor key rock and roll with a guitar and piano. And then it's, it starts like that. Then they go, then they go, whoa, 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 no, we're going to go right down to that laid back and um, blissed out stones kind of melancholy vibe with lots of ooh backing vocals. And it's really cool, actually. Great vocals, half spoken, quite jagger. But, uh, yeah, you know, just the attitude is all there, the realness, if you like. And then it kicks back into the minor key fast thing with the chorus. It's a brilliant, catchy chorus. Um, and he's really screaming with rawness, and I, it's great. And then you've got a bluesy kind of country, rough, swaggery guitar solo. I'm saying swaggery a lot today. I don't think I've ever used that word before in my life. But anyway, um, and actually, this is really cool. And to me, it's deceptively interesting. Like, it, it, on one level, it's fairly standard stonesy rock and roll. But on another level, it's like, hang on, just speeding up in the chorus and then going slow in the verses. Like, that, not that's not say, a normal thing. Do not say deceptively interesting again when I'm taking a sip. <laughs> i mean we used to try not to say the word interesting because we just kept saying it every right. episode about 300 times so there we go but it's like deceptively complex i don't know what you want to call it. anyway you tell me what you think you know i envy you a lot when it comes to these records 
because this this album reminds me a lot of and i've been trying to figure it out it's not the rolling stones it's close that exile on main street you know that laid back rolling stones yes it reminds me of that but it really reminds me of and i finally put my finger on it it reminds me of the first velvet revolver record okay interesting and that album is just one giant psychedelic blob to me. In this right. album, it I, it's hard for me to pick out songs. Can I just check? You do mean Velvet Revolver, not Velvet Underground. I'm sorry. No, I meant Velvet Underground. I was going to say, that didn't sound quite right. <laughs> <laughs> it's early. I'm sorry. It's no, early, it's... and I routinely say that wrong. Like that time we were doing... Leonard Skinner, and I kept saying Led Zeppelin for Leonard Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Velvet Underground, the one with Lou Reed and Nico. Yes, oh, that's the, the one. Album. I was going to say, that's the psychedelic one. Yeah, 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 totally. And yeah, this, yeah. this reminds me of that vibe, and that vibe is something that just goes on all the way through and then you get these musical interludes you get these stabby saxes you get a couple of nice solos out of williamson the last track mainly but it's really hard for me to to, to pinpoint these things from from bit to bit yeah i do know what you mean and and i and i tell, i think you're right with the velvet underground as well actually yeah there is a lot of that because it's got the psychedelia thing yeah absolutely and that that kind of thing of that black and white psychedelia, not not like that yeah. Jimi Hendrix or Black Sabbath kind of in your face, but that it's yeah. there, but it's not there. I know what you mean. And I think it's also the thing of like when you're listening to a Velvet Underground record, there's a lot of the tracks kind of blend in with each other and there's a lot of downtime within those. And then suddenly something will jump out and you go, oh, OK, there's a song. Um, exactly and that. Yeah, it is a bit like this, uh, like that with this. Well, um, Johanna, do you have, no, I was going to make a terrible pun about, do you have anything to say about this one? Because it's called Johanna and it just wasn't going to work. So um, No, there's no pun there. uh, There's no pun there at all. Yeah. Um, Johanna, that's the next track. So this is I'm not I can't say swaggery again. So I've just said it. It's it's a joyful, groovy thing with a repetitive chord sequence with a lot of sax, and it's very very uplifting. And I think it works great um, actually. And it kicks in with a verse, um, and it's yeah, it's that Stonesy vibe, but it's also Iggy, Iggy's own thing. Um, yeah, it's it's a good song and it's catchy. And there's a sax solo and a guitar solo at the same time that actually strangely works. But, you know, I do agree with you. They're starting to blend into each other a bit. And I'll be honest, even though I said it was catchy when I wrote this, I can't remember this song particularly apart from the two, the Saxon guitar solo. So I don't know, maybe maybe it's not quite up there with the best of this album. Well, I mean, it's in a spot where you put your songs that you're not the most proud of and it, it, it is what it is. It's another movement in the theme. It, Again, I I can't remember any of the vocals on this record. Right. I mean, I have no recollection of them. I know that they existed. And I know this song existed, but I remember looking down at the timer to see how far I was into this one. And this is a short album. It's only 32 minutes. And I think that's just the right amount. 
But yeah. at this time, I'm starting to get a little, there's a lot of repetitions on a theme in the nighttime. There you go. Exactly. So this is night theme. And essentially, this is the last track on side one. And, then and the first, first track on side two. Exactly. It's night theme, then night theme reprise. You know, they're not. Essentially, they're, they're, they're the same. They're really not showing me how wrong I am. No, but you're right. All one song. Yeah, and they're like one minute and a half or something each. And yeah. you've got like a screeching car sounds and some sly guitar. And there's like Iggy Pop saying, I think he just says something like, it's midnight or something like that. Um, and it basically seems to be James Williamson experimenting. And it, it's kind of, it, look, it's fine, but it's a bit of nothing really. Now they're trying uh, to be Pink Floyd. Yeah, and then it ends with bleepy sound. It, it ends with like kind of thing. Yeah, I think maybe he's trying to be Pink Floyd a bit here. And I don't, yeah, this is a bit throwaway. I don't think it's really necessary. I'm not sure it really fits the rest of the record. I'm not quite sure what they were doing there. But Anyway, if it's any consolation, there's Ooh. a few more tracks to go. Oh, here we go with consolation prizes. And side two of this record is a big blank for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest and say I think side two is probably not as good as side one. Um, this is, guess what? Stonesy rock and roll swaggery stuff again. There's some good slide guitar, some nice vocals doing the drawly, screamy thing. It's a pretty good chorus. Um quite catchy it is decent actually this one is decent but it's again it's the proto-punk pop rock post-punk thing and we've probably covered it's not too dissimilar from a lot of the other tracks so i'm not going to talk about it too much um, yeah and i mean the thing about this album is so much of it is that blissed out slowed down vibe with you know sax solos or stabby sax rhythms and a little bit of a guitar solo and, you know, standard, you know, pre-punk. Because we're, we're into the, because we're into the pre-punk era still. Yeah. You know, the Ramones, Sex Pistols, these bands haven't broken yet. That kind and but they're starting to do those kinds of chord progressions. There's no riffs. There's, yeah. It yeah. gets harder and harder to find a sense of something on this yeah. album to Great. talk about. And there's no sense of crime. Well done, yeah, and that's the that's the track. So, acoustic guitar, dreamy psychedelia, um, very steady paced. Again, it's blissed out, but it's very much more down the um, almost uh, bucolic, um, you know, very hippieish almost um, psychedelic thing, folky almost. Slide guitar comes in even more dreamy. Um, then you've got this marching snare, and actually that's when it got really cool for me when the marching snare gave it that energy type of thing. I mean, that's a marching snare. I mean, it's not, but it's my impression of one. So then it kicks in with the vocals and everything, and it's like for me, it's like dark sixties bluesy pop, like traffic. Um, and it's got a great feel. And then they bring in congas, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not. This might. It's so sixties. It feels that was a big thing back then, like mm. doing all this random percussion. Yeah, I mean, and I, look, I, I like I like a lot of percussion on records. It depends on the record, but I don't know. This feels a bit like at this stage, James Williamson's going right. I'm in control of the production here. I'm experimenting. I'm going to just pull in all these different ideas. And like again, we've had so many albums where it's sort of a, a first album, and they didn't quite know what they were doing. 
and, and in a way, this is a first because I, th- I think it's the first one that James Williamson produced. And I guess he was very much in the driving seat with Iggy Pop being, you know, out of action through most of the week. So it feels like he's experimenting quite a lot. Um, this one, to be honest, just get loses me. It, it's a great. It start. It go. I go. Yeah, it's all kicking in. This is really cool. It's gonna go somewhere, and then it just stays the same and meanders on. And it feels too long, but it's three minutes forty two, and it's yeah. like okay. Yeah, there's a lot of. No, I, nothing really feels too long for me. It just the movements didn't get get on down the road far enough each time. And I, yeah. I think that's, you know, they they were smart or lucky to have made it a short record. <laughs> well done. Well, Lucky Monsters is the penultimate monkeys. track. Lucky Monkeys. Why have I written Monsters? <laughs> I've, just, I've just typed it wrong. Lucky Monkeys. Lucky Monsters. Whatever. Okay, Lucky Monkeys. It's not really so, that different either way, I mean. I guess, I guess not. No, so... This has the harmonica, and it's, again, that steady stone. It's like more of the ballad, like Wild Horses by the Stones. It's that type of feel. And it, um, I don't know, it's not that strong. But then right at the end, finally, they bring in this repeated hook, which is actually really cool. And I'm like, yeah, you should have done that a bit more. And it's this, I think they're saying, born dead, crazy born, crazy born dead. And that's really cool. But it took its time to get there, and the rest of it was a bit superfluous, to be honest. And, you know, I think that is a great description of this entire record. It really took its time to get there. And when we talk about the way this album sounds, the way it is, it it's important to remember two things. This is an album made by two print. Well, this is an album made by two principals, and one of them was basically incapacitated. Exactly. Two this was meant to be a demo of songs, not necessarily completed songs, even though James Williams did go back and do some overdubs, some remixing and adding of new instruments. And, and I think when you said that, when you made the point that this is James Williamson experimenting, I think you're absolutely right because Iggy pop was not involved with this record when it switched from demo to record. Iggy pop was involved in Iggy pop. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. So basically, James Williamson was very much the master in charge. There we go. Record. Nicely done. And this last track is Master Charge. And actually, this is the one that's not even written by Iggy Pop. And as far as I can tell, he's not on it. And it sounds different from the rest of the album. It's set, It's got a more lush production and nicer mix. I think they did this one in 1977. Like, when, once they had that advance from the record label to finish it off, I reckon... James Williamson assembled the same. I might be wrong. I, mean, I this is purely conjecture, but like I think he might have assembled the same guys and done an extra track because it wasn't long enough. It's like oh, we wrote a demo and it was twenty five minutes, so we need to just bolt this out to make it an album kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm I guessing, would. I, I would love to say something about how wrong you are and how no this, but no. I mean, that actually makes. I, I'm kidding. I'm just. You know, buying. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But no, that makes absolutely perfect sense. This album, this song does not sound like the rest. This song does not feel like the rest. This song sticks out from the rest. This sticks out like a sore thumb. So we're looking at a song. This is actually my favorite song on the album, too. And it's the one I remember the most because of its it's sticking out. It's got an amazing guitar solo in this in this one. It's got a great yeah 
outro, a wonderful feel, a wonderful niceness to it. It's 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 almost as if the heroine has lifted, and which it quite likely had, quite literally, yeah. And but not just lifted, but lifted and gone away and broken the cycle. It feels more yeah. lush, more green, more like that Disney kind of feel where you got all the little animals dancing around. And I really, really enjoyed this song. I would like to hear an entire record of that song. Yeah, it's good. I would say it's almost like Breathe by Pink Floyd, but with that stonesy thing mixed in and a bit of Hawkwind kind of since um it's a cool sound yeah i don't i can't compare it directly to any one other uh influence really i so i guess this was this may be the zenith of i think he has done solo albums actually so who knows i'm sure he's done lots of other cool stuff i have a solo recently, album but... that he released uh after that last stooges record it's got a picture right. of him uh, painted up as the Day of the Dead skull for some reason. Okay, there you go. There but you when go. I, I I can't remember if I reviewed it or if I just downloaded the promo. I think I just downloaded the promo. I don't think I reviewed it because I didn't know who he was. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, man. So, but I guess this it feels like he's he's found something. It feels like the other tracks he's experimenting and he's kind of got a sound, but he wants to push it into something a bit new, but doesn't quite know how to do that. And then here it's like, okay, yeah, you found a new thing that's cool and different. Um, yeah, it's a bit jazzy in places. You've got the ele- the, the um, chorus on the bass, um, very unstooges, to be honest. Um, and it's obviously it's instrumental. Um yeah, I, I but basically I don't have a whole lot to add um other than what you said, but I really like this was stuck in my head. Obviously it's the last track, so it's the, probably the one that would be, but it's not just that because a lot of the, these albums that we listen to, you know, the, the last track doesn't stick in my head, but I mean I can remember the chord sequence now, you know. Um yeah, great great kind of um it is blissed out, it is psychedelic, but it's got this really, really uplifting kind of lightness to it, this uh, floating on a cloud thing. So, um, yeah, like it. Good end to the record. I, I weird. Would... Quite fit. Sorry. Yes, I, I would definitely agree with all that. And I guess now it's probably time to start moving into the sum up because I think I said everything yeah. I needed to say about that particular track. This record is... It's one of those, it's one of the rare gems that we find that we've never heard that I wish I had heard before. And I am an absolute spinet on this one. This is, it's just don't expect raw power. Don't expect the la- the latest one, Ready to Die. This is, a ve- this is two dudes in a very different place than they were at that time. And they're writing what they're, what's going on in their world. They're writing what's going on in their lives. And their lives are kind of messed up. And when you're when people's especially, you know, especially in in seventies rock and roll, when your life gets messed up and boring, there's always somebody there with a stick, with a lick, or with a smoke, to 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 liven it up. And this is the end of the nonstop party. And yeah. The, the end of the party is very different than the beginning. 
hundred percent. Yeah, I think you've said it I, absolutely. I, I'm a spin it, and it's very much the same overall opinion there. So I won't repeat what you've said, but yeah, don't expect raw power, which is kind of what I thought. But actually, it's cool in a different way. Very, it's flawed in so many ways, but it's a rough diamond, and there's there's a lot of uh, depth to it, and there's some really um, that there's some. What's the word? Just just the rawness of, of Iggy's expression on this um, with what he was going through at the time and all that is that that's enough for me for it to be a spin it. But added to that, you've got some hit and miss experimentation, but there's a lot of hit and you've got this cool stonesy blissed out vibe that not many people can do who aren't the stones and they've got it on this. So, you know, I'll take it. Um, so that's me. Yes. Yeah, spin it. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I guess there's really nothing more to say this week. No, that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody. Catch you next week.